Well, good morning, church. Just take a moment and look around for just a second. There are people in this place. It feels good to be back and worship with one another. If you're here in the room today, I'm so thankful that you're here with us today to celebrate on Mother's Day. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in with us as well this morning. Uh, we are really thankful to be a church still in multiple locations, but to be able to connect on Sunday morning is a huge, huge blessing. My name is Trevor Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and I consider it a great honor this morning to be able to speak with you and to share with you from Scripture on Mother's Day. My hope would be that every person here this morning would make their mother feel loved and appreciated, and just for a moment, I want to say, Cindy Miller, thank you for uh, bringing me into the world and loving me well. Thank you, uh, my grandma, Mary Fiscus, as well. Uh, both of you, I'm sure, wondered, is the investment worth it, but I think it turned out pretty good, so thank you for all that you've done. Um, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Stages, The Soul of Every Season. And last week, if you were here or you watched online, Chad did a really great job of setting up this entire series, looking at the fact that all of life essentially is a series of, of stages and movements that God is moving us through. And some of these stages actually coincide with development, like kind of the age that we are. Like when you're young, of course, you're going to be a growth stage. You'll be growing in some kind of way. But the series is also about the fact that every stage we'll talk about during this series doesn't just happen segmented to one time within our life but it actually shows up multiple times in our life often, each one of these stages. And Chad said to us, listen, the, the key is how to recognize what stage you're in and how to lean into that stage as it comes. How do we see what God has for us in the middle of what we're going through? Our temptation, though, often, as Chad introduced last week, and I think it's very, very true, is to long for the future. Whatever stage we find ourselves in, we find ourselves saying things like, if, if we can just get this kid out of diapers, then life will begin again. Amen. We look and say, once I graduate, then things will be different. Once I get that thing paid off, we start looking to the future and, and actually neglecting the season we're in, longing for the next one. But on the other side of the coin, we actually do the opposite as well. We yearn for the past. We look back and we're like, oh, the good old days. Like back when I was prom queen. Remember that? I mean, back when things were better, when I had that job, before grandma passed away, whatever it might be. We have the tendency to look forward or to yearn for the past as opposed to being right here, right now. What would it look like for us to be able to lean into the soul of whatever season we find ourselves in today? Like the essence, the lessons, the gift. I love the tagline of this series, the soul of every season. So I just turned 39 in April. I know it's shocking. Um, I turned 39 in April and uh, I never in my life thought I would be at a place in my life where I wasn't actually 27. Anybody else in the room? Like 27 was the time where everything kind of stopped for me. Like in my head, I'm still that. My body's like, no, you're not. But I'm like, yes, I am. And, and now looking at the year ahead of me, I'm like, I'm, I'm one year from 40. Some are like, what's the big deal? Nothing. I'm just saying in my life, though, as I'm looking at it, I'm like, I can't believe, I never thought I would see this time in my life where I'm, I'm one year away from being 40, a, a, year, a year that I couldn't possibly fathom. And my tendency and my temptation, particularly this birthday, for whatever reason, it did something to me. And I started finding myself thinking, man, remember back in the day, like back then, when we used to go on vacation and do things before we had these things in the house? Or, or looking forward, being like, man, one day when this happens... And it's a temptation that we fall, all fall into from time to time. But what would happen if we were to allow ourselves to be present in this stage, in this season? If we were to ask God things like, what am I to learn here? 
How are you shaping me? How is this forming me? What is the soul of this season? The value, the significance, the meaning. This morning, I want to wrestle with one particular stage, and that is the stage of nurturing. Nurturing. This is a stage that shows up in our life in multiple different times and ways. It's what I want to talk about this morning. But I want to define nurture in this way. To nurture means to care for and encourage the growth and development of something or someone. So when you find yourself in a nurturing stage, you are pouring yourself into someone or something for the means of development and growth. I remember when this stage kind of first reared its head in my life, my wife and I, uh, we had gotten married. We had not had children yet. We knew we wanted children at some point in time, but our house was like the place that the potted plants went to die. And so in terms of nurturing, it was not necessarily our strong suit. So plants would come in, they would never leave. So as opposed to developing growth in life, it was like, it was like death and like reduction. That's what took place at the Miller household. So when we found out we were pregnant, we were like, great, what do we do? And so we went to the hospital and Eli was born, our first son. And we were so excited for like two and a half days. And then they're like, okay, now take him home. Like, what do you mean? Like, put him in your car and then you're just going to drive home and then and you do all the things that we've done. And I'm like, no. Like, we slept here for two and a half days because you took the baby away. And also you helped us feed this thing. Take care. We burped the thing here. Like, I don't know that we can do this on our own, nurture this, this little baby to like adulthood one day. That seems too difficult. So one end, I was like terrified. But at the same time, I was like, what an honor. Like what an honor that we would have a baby that we are now responsible for. And if you stop and just think for a moment, what an amazing thing that for a man and a woman to come together, God has designed in such a way that life is born and a woman is able to grow that life inside of her. It's amazing. And then that life comes into the world and that woman is still capable and fully equipped to help that life grow. And Mother's Day, we should celebrate. That's amazing. And so I was terrified of this nurturing stage, but sure enough, here it was right before me. We had no other choice. They put him in the car seat and we went home and he's 10 years old now, almost 11. However, this nurturing stage is not just limited to having children. The nurturing stage shows up in our life in all kinds of different ways. I mean, maybe there's this new business and you're pouring yourself into it and you're nurturing it for development and growth. Or maybe, I don't know, you had this invitation to be a crew guide at Vacation Bible School, which you have one, by the way. And you could come and invest and pour into children at Vacation Bible School. Maybe there's this kid in the neighborhood and you recognize he needs a little more attention. No one's looking after him. Or you have this new employee, you're mentoring them. This, this season of nurturing happens all throughout our life. And we might come to the realization that right now we're in the middle of a season or a stage where we are pouring our life into someone or something else. Our energy, our vigor is given for growth and development that it might take place in front of us. This stage of life actually shows up all throughout the scriptures. God speaks to it often. From Genesis to Revelation, God speaks to it in many, many different ways. I want to look today, though, in a book called 2 Timothy. It's a letter that Paul wrote. And Paul wrote this letter to a man named, guess what? Timothy. 
And in this book, we get a glimpse behind the curtain of this nurturing stage in a way that we don't in other places within the scripture. I want to read this for you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Here's the very beginning of this letter that, that Paul writes. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, Timothy. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now also lives inside of you. So Paul begins this letter by identifying himself. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he addresses the person he's writing the letter to. He says, Timothy. And then he says, my dear son. Now, to be clear, Timothy is not Paul's biological son. Uh, in fact, Paul had met Timothy when Timothy was 16 years old in a place called Lystra. And in Paul's first missionary journey, his first work in that particular area, uh, this man Timothy became a Christian from Paul's ministry at 16 years old. Now, some scholars uh, believe that actually somewhere along the way, Timothy's father may have passed away, which is one of the reasons that Paul maybe says, my dear son. In other places that he writes to Timothy, he calls him my son in the faith. But Paul, for whatever reason, sees his life as one to pour into Timothy's life. So at 16 years old, Timothy becomes a Christian. And then after that, at 20 or 21, Timothy actually goes on Paul's second missionary journey and does ministry alongside of him. He accompanies him in ministry. And when 2 Timothy is written, more than likely, it's 20 years after that. So Timothy is reading this letter at probably 40 years old, and Paul has written this letter from a place called Rome as he's in chains. So you can imagine Paul thinking back to this 16-year-old little boy that he met somewhere along the way and all of the life that he's poured into Timothy along the way. And he writes to him, my dear son, my son in the faith. Then Paul mentions something. He says, Timothy, every time I think about you, I think about you in prayer. As a spiritual father, a part of his nurturing of Timothy was actually praying over him, intercessory prayer over Timothy's life. I just want to say one thing, kind of a side note here. Prayer is not the least that we can do. It's often the most that we can do. And we are nurturing and pouring out into a person or a thing. Prayer is the greatest tool that we've been given, and Paul uses it well in Timothy's life. After 16 years serving at this church, one of my greatest joys is for God to bring to mind a student of mine who's come through middle school, high school ministry. And when I think about them, I pray for them. I text them. Hey, listen, I'm thinking about you, praying for you, just as Paul does for Timothy. I think about it, and I think about it often. And then Paul goes on to mention something about uh, Timothy's past. He says, I noticed the sincere faith that lives inside of you, which originated with your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Solid names right there. Paul says, I recognize this faith that lives and dwells inside of you because it originated with your grandma and with your mom. People who saw that Timothy needed an investment. They poured their life into him. And the faith that they displayed now is the faith that Timothy displays. And Paul recognizes it. Paul says, Timothy, you have grown and here's what Paul recognizes. Timothy did not get here on his own. There have been people in his life 
in his corner, cheering him on, investing in his life from the very time that he was born. And maybe even now this morning, maybe this day, this Mother's Day, kind of nostalgic, you think back to people in your life who have poured into you because guess what? You didn't get here on your own either. I didn't either. As I look back on my life, there were two women who really invested in me heavily, believing things about myself that I didn't believe at the moment. It's a tale of two Karens. Now, not the Karen you're thinking about, but two Karens. And the first one was Karen McGarry. When I was in high school in Indiana, my youth pastor was a lady named Karen. And I remember she saw leadership inside of me that I didn't see myself. I'll never forget as of a junior in high school, she said, hey, I know you can play the guitar, but can you sing while you play guitar? I'm like, no. She's like, we'll figure it out. We need a worship leader in the youth group and you're the guy. I was like, are you serious? So sure enough, I learned to play guitar and sing at the same time and began to lead worship for my youth group only because Karen saw something in me that I didn't see myself. And she invested in me. And it's had a return. I would not be on this stage today, this morning, doing this had it not been for her investment within my life. A second Karen. I came to CIU to go to college. There's a lady named Karen Grant at CIU. She's a professor of youth ministry. I took multiple classes with her. Karen has never been married. She doesn't have children of her own. But she saw every one of the students who came through her classroom as someone worthy of investment. She treated us like her kids. And again, I would not be doing today what I'm doing had it not been for Karen Grant and Karen McGarry's investment in my life. They nurtured me in my faith. They pulled things out of me that I did not see in and of myself. So, you know, this morning on Mother's Day, I feel like it'd be appropriate for us to wrestle with this nurturing stage with some individuals who are well acquainted with it. So I want to invite to the stage this morning some wonderful women from our church. Would you join me in welcoming Jessica, Elizabeth, and Michelle? Good morning. Good morning. Long time no see. Nine o'clock, last time I think. Now, I just want to have a disclaimer up front right away. Um, we have taken the four most talkative people on the planet Earth and put them all on stage together. So we have 15 minutes. We'll see how it goes. So first and foremost, I want to just have you guys introduce yourself a little bit and, um, and then tell us a little bit about kind of the nurturing stage that you're experiencing in your life right now. How does that express itself within your life right now? Michelle, why don't you begin? Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, I'm Michelle. My husband and I have two amazing children. One is 19 and one is almost 17. He'll be 17 next week. Anna Neal is our oldest. Um, she is just amazing and the light of our family. Um, she was diagnosed with autism and apraxia at age two and a half. I have um, all American just well-rounded, fun-loving guy. He's almost 17, Daniel. And our family's just wonderful. We love it. You know, we didn't, it's not a plan though. It's not a, our special needs family is not something that we dreamed of or planned to have a special needs family, but it's one that I feel like I am so blessed that God chose us for. And I'm so thankful that he chose us for. And he has put so many people along our path that I may have missed out on if I had not been a special needs mom. So we are so thankful for that. Elizabeth? Happy Mother's Day to everyone. And if I could hug you, I would do so. I really think that this church is a welcome, warming, spiritual field church. So I will feel good when I come here. My name is Elizabeth Phillips and I have, we have two 
children. My son, our son is 56 and my daughter is 45. And I remember when I was uh, carrying him, I would pray to God to make sure he was a boy because I wanted my firstborn to be a boy and uh, to give him common sense that no one would abuse or hurt him. And God gave him everything. So I called him my Solomon. He is very bright. He can do anything, fix anything, make anything, until my daughter called him Jesus' cousin. Okay, so when we, when we, um, was, when he was growing up, he was the type of kid that if you didn't teach him right away, he was going to learn how to do it anyway. If, he, if you didn't teach him how to cook, he was going to cook whether you liked it or not. So I had to be a nurturing on hand, didn't think I was going to live past two years old, but I did. <laughs> and so my daughter, my husband, for some reason, everybody might know Sam, who is deceased now, but he wanted a daughter for some reason. He wanted his daughter <laughs> more than I never had a man. figure man going to want somebody to go to sports, to play ball with, but he wanted this daughter. And we didn't know we was having a daughter until that morning when she was born and Sam came into the room because he was too nervous to be in the room. He lit up like a Christmas tree. He went all over Long Island and Suffolk County, Nassau, and giving out a cigar. He said, I had a baby. He didn't say we had a baby. He said, I had a baby. I'm in the hospital waiting for him and didn't know where he was. He was all over spreading the news. And let me tell you, that child made, gave him so much joy until the day he died. And it was just like she is so much like him and also like me. All right, so we were blessed uh, under the many blessings that a mother, you know, when you get that phone call in the middle of the night, you never got that. You got your kids in trouble, never got that. And so we was blessed all around. And I think because of faith, and we let God guide, it, guide us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Jessica. Um, so my name is Jessica Coates, and the Coates family story is um, we've been blessed with three um, biological boys, um, super duper fantastic boys, who I like very much. Um, and then we got pregnant with a girl and lost her at about 21 weeks gestation. And after that happened, we really started praying and God really started laying heavy on us to adopt. And um, after we jumped through all the hoops and everything and we were filling out all the forms, the three boys um, pretty clearly told us they did not want a white baby. Um, they wanted a brown baby. So we said, okay. And so um, everything came through, and uh, we were blessed with an um, amazing um, African-American boy. And then two years later, um, an amazing African-American mixed-race girl. And um, I think um, one of the things that we know to be true, because we've experienced it, is that you love your biological and your adopted children exactly the same. I've had people ask me, I'm worried to adopt because what if I don't love them the way I love my biological children? And we're just here to tell you that you will. You will look in their face, you'll gaze in their eye, you'll feel their soul that God chose to give you. And no matter how God brought them to you, um, if they grew in my belly or another woman's belly, that soul was chosen for our family, and we love all five of them exactly the same. And it's just been a huge blessing to be able to tell people that. You three are so cool. 
Uh, I love listening to all stories because they're so unique. Like your experience of motherhood, your experience of nurturing is so unique. And to kind of hear each angle is really, really helpful. And so I, I want to ask a question though. Like what is, what is beautiful about the nurturing stage? Like when we find ourselves in this season of life, what's beautiful about that? There's so much good stuff. And you said only 15 minutes? Yeah. Okay. All when right, I do so this, that doesn't mean keep going. That's like wrap it up. <laughs> so what is beautiful is that with Anna Neal, um, it's always pure joy. She is always happy. I mean, always happy. And so like, if you ever pass us going down the road, you may think I am just going at it on my cell phone, just talking to somebody. I am not. I am singing. I am singing, if you're happy and you know it, this little light of mine, um, you name it, I can sing it, every verse, all 20. So she is always singing, always full of joy, and um, it's just amazing. It, you know, makes us think twice about being grumpy. And then I guess right now, the season that we're in, my son Daniel um, is, is been drawn so close to her right now. He is, um, wants to be with her and do thing, more things with her. And they have gotten to be really close. And it's fun to just watch that and to feel like, you know, everything's gonna be just fine. He just absolutely adores her and she likes to ignore him and all that good stuff. But anyway, she's a lot of joy for sure. Elizabeth? Well, you never stop nurturing your children just like you never stop loving them. Uh, I would give my heart if they needed a heart. That's how I felt when she wanted to take her boyfriend home one night, and I said, no, I'll take him home. She said, you don't trust me. I said, no, I'd rather crawl in a desert than to have you out there looking for help. That's how much I love you. Not because I didn't trust you, because I'd rather be in that position than you. So even today, she is... At 45, she still called and asked for my advice on things and asked for advice for her friends, too. She said, I wish they had a mother like you. So that gave me that uh, good housekeeping seal, that I did a good job, and God blessed me because it wasn't because of me. I didn't get here on my own. I had people, even when I didn't know, were nurturing and teaching me. That was a teacher lived up the street from me. I was six of eight kids. And I would go up there and say, teach me how to tell time because I want to be smarter than my sibling. And she would teach me. So I would come back and show off and brag and stuff like that. And then when I went to New York, there was a lady, a, a Swedish lady, that I was a teller in the bank. And she saw something in me as a leader and, and you know, a hard worker. And in five years, I was the assistant manager of a bank. And I could not believe why she loved me so much. She said, no, because you changed my life. And I said, no, you changed my life. But I know what it is to have somebody just to love you unconditionally. And I always felt compared God loves to a mother's love. He loves us the same way. That's how I can relate to how God feels about me, how special I am to him, because I feel that way about people and also my children. So I nurtured children in the mentoring program. And I just can't stop. I have 20-some kids in that program. And people that I meet through the mission, people that I meet at church, I just love what God put inside of me. So, Jessica. Um, so huge blessings at the Coates house. Um, I think first is, I think my kids would agree, and my husband, there's lots and lots of laughter in our home. 
And that's a huge priority to us, to be silly with our kids, to laugh with our kids, to not take life too seriously. Um, we say things like, they're worried about a test. And I'm like, are you going to the party in heaven one day? And they're like, yes, ma'am. And I'm like, then we're not worried about this test. You know, it, I just think taking the pressure off our children in the world they live in today is a huge way to bless them and nurture them. Um, another blessing for us as adoptive parents is um, the adoption process. We write a little journal and write a letter and put pictures in it, and then the birth moms look through it. And then you get a call one day that this woman has chosen you. And the honor and the privilege in that, that she chose our family to, to give her child to is a blessing beyond all measure. And um, our kids take really good care of each other. A huge priority in our house is that our siblings, they get along. Um, there's no bickering, there's no nothing. Siblings come before friends, and they do such a good job of it. And our oldest son really led the way with that. And I think each of them take very seriously the role that God has given them to love each other well, nurture each other well, take care of each other well, which is a blessing to us as parents because then it, it helps us. Um, and my 18-year-old said right before the service, he was like, I don't even remember that two are adopted and three are biological. Like, it's just not even a part of their thought process. We are a family of seven, eight now. My oldest is married. And um, we are just the souls that God chose to put together to call family. So they're obviously beautiful pieces to come along with nurturing and maybe even in the room this morning, you're like, yes, I mean, all the times I've had as, as a parent or a, a small group leader or, um, you know, helping with children on a Sunday morning or, or a mentor in my workplace, those have been beautiful things, but there's also difficulties that come with the nurturing stage too. So can you speak to that really quick? What's the, what are the difficulties? What makes it hard uh, to be in a nurturing stage as well? Well, I guess some things you just have planned out in your head that you're going to celebrate, you know, different milestones you're going to celebrate. And um, it's okay to mourn some of the ones that you don't get, but, um, but you can celebrate other things. I think the first thing that really hit me was um, when other kids Anna Neal's age were starting to drive. They were getting their driver's license. And, you know, you're seeing all these pictures. We're so proud. We got a new driver in the house. And and it didn't really hit me until that moment. I was like, oh, she's not going to be able to drive. You know, she's not going to be able to get her driver's license. But we celebrate other amazing things. She's won blue ribbons in horseback riding, um, in horse shows, and rides a jet ski full blast with her brother. I mean, there's other things we can celebrate. But I think, you know, just having to celebrate a little bit different, sometimes that is kind of hard and hurts my mama, my mama heart a little bit. But... Um, I feel so blessed that it's hard to think of something that's hard. You know, I mean, you do it because you've, you've been honored to, and been given, like you said, given these children. And God chose me to be Daniel and Anna Neal's mom, and I'm so thankful for it. So you said at 9 o'clock, too, that you let Anna Neal then drive the golf cart, oh, and you yeah. realized it was a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I'm over here thinking, gosh, I wish she could get her license one day. But then I remembered there was this one time that I decided that she's going to learn how to drive the golf cart. I'm going to let her drive the golf cart. Then I quickly remembered that she doesn't need a driver's license. She's going to be <laughs> just fine. She can let her brother drive her around everywhere. Good. I want to keep everybody safe. Elizabeth? I think the hardest part of 
for me, when nurturing other people, my children are well set and all. It's um, the things that you want to do and you don't have the resources to do because it's so hard with African-American kids that are limited with certain resources and, and, and all the opportunities that my kid had, you know, going to camp, going to dance school and all that, and these kids don't have that. So what I try to do is show them love and compassion first. And once I do that, I got them where I need them to be. And being that I work for a mission, uh, well, I run a mission now since the other lady left, uh, I have people that come to me at the end of the Christmas, at the end of the year or around Christmas time and donate funds to me to use to bless someone. And I will have someone there that need blessing. And I'm, you know, I am fortunate that they trust me and they believe in me and spiritually they love me and I love them. And so I didn't find that part uh, loving anybody, adults, different races, I have no problem. I can nurture and love anybody in this world because God is love mm. and he's given us that gift. Mm. Good. Jess. Good. Um, I think the, the hard part that I think all parents can attest to is right when you think you figured things out, another kid comes along and even though it's like the same stage, they look at it differently and they handle it differently and you're just a rookie parent all over again. And we did that five times yeah. where we had to start over. The discipline didn't work, the, you know, the other things, and you just kind of had to reconfigure everything as a parent, and I think that's always hard. And I think the other thing that's hard is, um, am I doing enough? Am I loving enough? Am I praying enough? Am I offering enough that when I send them out into the world, they're gonna be prepared for it? Um, and praying circles around them and drawing that circle and staying inside of it until the prayer is answered. Do we do that enough so that when we send them out, they're prepared for the world? And with two African-American children, um, we're not naive enough as white parents to think that they will probably encounter a different world when they leave our home than my three Caucasian children. And have I done enough to um, prepare them for that? Um, and again, there's only so much we can do, and that's where prayer and faith come in for all parents and all moms and all dads that, that we really are just handing them over to God when they leave the house. Well, thank you all so much for sharing a bit of your story. Would you join me in thanking them for coming on Mother's Day to spend time with us? God bless you guys. Thank you all thank so you. much. As you can see, this nurturing stage kind of takes... Uh, shape in our lives in all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different times. But the truth is this morning, there, there are beautiful parts that come along with the nurturing stage and there are certainly parts that are difficult when it comes to a nurturing stage. One of the things about a nurturing stage is that it's not for the faint of heart. If you've ever poured your life into something to develop and to grow something, it is not for the faint of heart. It can be a very difficult thing to give your time, energy, attention, and affection, but there's so much at stake. It must be done. Pastor Andy Stanley in Georgia, he says this, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do, but it may be someone that you raise. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you yourself accomplish, but maybe the person or the thing that you are pouring into right now for growth 
and development. You want to make a difference in the world? Then make a difference in the world that is your family first, right here, right now. If you want your life to count for something, then make it count for those seven girls that are in your small group that you lead. You want to leave a legacy? Then leave a legacy with that circle leader here at the church that you're mentoring right now and pouring into. The greatest contribution that you will make to the world and to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do. It might be someone that you're pouring into even right now. I made a decision in college. I had two great mentors, David Olshine and Huli Goddard, and they mentored me so well through college. And I promised myself in college I would never go a day in my life again where I didn't have someone nurturing me, pouring into me. And I would never go a day in my life again where I was not turning around to nurture and to pour into somebody else. It's allowed me to grow. And it's allowed me to pour myself into other people as well. The nurturing stage, the nurturing stage of our lives is marked by two things, faith and faithfulness. The nurturing stage of any person's life is marked by faith and faithfulness. So whether it's Lois or Eunice or Paul himself, or it's the three that we just heard from, or it's you and your life experience and circumstance right now, your nurturing stage will be marked by faith and faithfulness. For Mother's Day, yesterday I decided to go and, and pick my wife up some uh, plants to plant at our house. We have a new house, we have a little bit of land, and so we thought, hey, it'd be great to like, have some cool plants on the property. And so in particular, I wanted some, some fruit trees. So I bought a lemon plant, bush, tree, I don't actually know what it is, um, but it grows lemons. So I brought it home, and I was like, this is going to be so great. She'll be so excited. We'll have lemons on the Miller property. And so I, I brought it home and gave it to her. I was like, happy Mother's Day. We'll plant this today. It'll be awesome. We'll do it all together. She's like, oh, this thing's beautiful. How cool. Like, lemons. Like, when will we have our first lemon? And I was like, yeah, I had not thought about that part. So we Googled it. In six years, we might have a lemon. Six. I'll be 45 years old before... We have our first lemon potentially at the Miller compound. And so we were excited, but at the same time, it's like, you mean we have to plant this thing today, fertilize it, water it, protect it, nurture it, grow it for six years. And then maybe, maybe we'll have some fruit that'll come from it. That's parenting. That's mentoring. That's nurturing in a nutshell. You will pour yourself out. You will give of yourself over and over and over again. Faith that what you see right now is not what it will say. You are able to see what could be before it actually is. You can see the potential in that person or in that thing. That's faith. And faithfulness is the courage for you to show up each and every day and pour out again and again and again. So if you're a mom of a middle school student, middle school boy right now, and you know that you pour out every day, you make the mac and cheese, you do the stuff, you drive them here, you drive them there, and all you receive is like an attitude, unmade, unmade bed, and like pee on the seat, like it's like all you get back in return. Faith in faithfulness is being able to see past where things are right now. And this, this child will become a man one day. And my job is to be faithful right here and right now, you see, the story of God in the Bible is about a God who is full of faith and who is full of faithfulness. He shows up over and over and over again. 
You see, for some of us in the room this morning, perhaps you have been in a nurturing stage for so long and it's not gone the way you thought it would go. It's been difficult, it's been hard, and you're ready to throw in the towel. Like no matter what you do, no matter what you try, it doesn't seem to be effective. You've not seen fruit from it and you keep giving out and you keep giving out and it's nothing in return. And you're ready to be done. You're ready to quit. And for some this morning, you're scared of the nurturing stage because you question whether you have it within yourself to give to anybody else in the first place. Have I ever been nurtured? Have I ever really been loved, truly loved, that I might offer it to somebody else? I question that. That can be scary. But the Bible tells us about a God who is both full of faith and who is faithful. In fact, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed up in the very beginning. And if you feel like you've screwed up over and over and over again, guess what? God still is there for you. He still shows up each and every time. The invitation for grace and mercy and new life is new for you today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Allow God to nurture you with his agape, compassionate, nurturing love that you might have something to offer someone else. May you see that the fact that God shows up over and over and over again would give you courage to get up and do it again and pour yourself out again to be able to see what is not right now but could be one day in the future, to see the potential and the people and the things that are worth your investment right now. Paul writes about this in the book of Galatians as well. He writes a passage of Scripture that is so closely attached to what he says to Timothy. And here's what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And he says this, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if what? We do not give up. If we do not give up. Paul introduces an important principle that shows up within the Bible in multiple places. And the principle is simply this. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. He says, if you sow into the flesh, then what you'll reap is destruction. If you sow selfishness, apathy, greed, discontent, discouragement, particularly in this particular stage of nurturing, then we'll miss this stage altogether. We won't see the possibilities. We'll reap destruction. However, if we sow into the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then we reap eternal life the full life of God. Sowing in the Spirit is the key to fully embracing every stage of life, every season of life, but in particular, the stage and the season of nurturing. This principle is key for us to understand and to lean into this season of our life. One question to ask yourself, what am I sowing into the persons and the things that God has brought to me right now to invest in? What am I sowing into the life of the people around me? The workplace around me, the family around me, the neighborhood around me. Am I sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the spirit? Will it bring destruction or will it bring life? 
But look at the very last verse that Paul writes. He says, after all this, sowing and reaping, what we put out is what we're going to get back in return. Then he says this at the very end. He says, never grow tired of doing what? Good. Faith and faithfulness. Never grow tired of doing good, for in the proper time, we will reap a harvest. In the proper time, we'll see the return. Never grow tired of doing good. So to the mom in the room this morning who is ready to throw in the towel, never grow tired of doing good. The harvest is coming. To the husband who's exhausted from trying to nurture his marriage, never grow tired of doing good. The harvest is coming. To the person in the room who feels like they have given so much to this dream of theirs and it feels like it's been wasted, never grow tired of doing good. For in the proper time, we will reap a harvest. You see, what can seem like a waste to us in this stage of life may just be the very thing that changes everything. It may seem like a waste, but in God's eyes, it's not. You see, years ago, Charles Francis Adams, who was Abraham Lincoln's ambassador to Great Britain, kept a well-documented diary. And actually his son, Brooks Adams, also kept a diary of his own, both well-preserved. And inside of these diaries, there was one particular event on the exact same day that they both wrote into their diaries. Charles, the father, wrote this in his diary on this day. He said, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. Maybe in his eyes, they didn't catch fish. Maybe there was something else that was more important to him at that point in time. But on the same day, his son, Brooks, also wrote in his journal, and here's what he wrote. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. See, Charles missed out on the stage of life he was in, this nurturing stage. Went fishing with my son, it was a wasted day, while his son the whole time was thinking, this is the most wonderful day of my life. It's not wasted. So next time you are tempted to say, drove all the kids to all the practices today, it was a wasted day. The next time that you spend all day cleaning out the garage with your wife and you say, a Saturday wasted. Or you coach a team in a losing effort and you might think, a game wasted. See, God never wastes anything. Every single opportunity that is given to us is an opportunity for, for nurturing, growth, and development. And if we can see it as such and lean into it, then we can be present for this stage right here, right now. Let's pray together. God, first and foremost, we want to thank you for being one who exemplifies faith and faithfulness. Thank you for showing up for me in my life over and over and over again. Even all the times that I've pushed you away and I've denied you working within me, thank you for always loving me still. Thank you for placing people in my life, some within my family and some outside, who saw things inside of me that they could nurture and grow and develop. I pray, Father, for the people in this room this morning that you would help our eyes and our hearts to be open to this season of nurturing that you may have brought us to. May we see the investment of our time, energy, attention, and affection, not as a waste, but as something that will pay off in the future. It may be years from now. May we see the fruit of our labor. 
I pray that there might be children in here this morning who would recognize the great investment by their parents, by people who love them, by this church. May they see, God, that you are using those people to make a difference in their life today. So thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We certainly don't deserve it, God, but we receive it today. We receive it today. Make us aware of the seasons of our life that we might live fully into them right here and right now. And together, everyone said, amen.